0: Hi, I'm Tanisha Collins from Future Men and Fatherhood, and you're listening to Kneel Before Pod.
1: Kneel Before Blog presents Kneel Before Pod.
0: Hello oh, and welcome to New Before Pod, the podcast that didn't travel back in time and change the universe into something more horrible than it already is. The state of the world is not our fault, we promise. I'm your host Craig and we're here to talk about the two previous adaptations of Flashpoint that weren't in the comics. So we're going to talk about Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox, which is an animated film, and the episode of The Flash that's called Flashpoint. That's two things. And joining me for that is the biggest other Flash expert on this podcast. It's Andrew.
1: Hello. Hello there. Are you ready to discuss Flashpoint? I am indeed. And I am very ready to discuss the Flash in at least a partial context that I'm actually going to enjoy. That's a novelty for us. Normally
0: we're eviscerating it, but that's the TV show and that's in here. But also we're eagerly awaiting the finale of the TV show and we'll get that out of our systems in due course. So, what's your history with DC animation and the Flash TV show?
1: They're two different arms of the DC adaptation space. My history with DC animation and the movies, specifically, I don't recall specifically when I became aware of them, but I remember after a while I realised that, okay, there are actually quite a lot of these films, and so I resolved to sit down and watch all of them in the order that they were made. And largely... I actually think they're really, really good. It's partly to do with how they're made with the assumption that the audience has some familiarity with the characters, so it doesn't need to waste a lot of time on introductions and scene setting. I can, can, can just get right into the story. And uh, I think that's why they have, for me certainly, largely been absolutely stellar experiences. The Flash TV series, on the other hand, as listeners of this podcast will be all too aware, is not the greatest relationship I've had with a piece of fiction. <laughs> I genuinely thought the first season of it was actually fantastic, but it seemed like since then it's failed to recapture just what made it so enthralling. And it said that when it isn't throwing up insignificant and diluted reworkings of comic storylines, it's just. An ever further descent into soap opera melodrama, which is pretty much the exact opposite that you want from a superhero TV show. I'm looking forward to it being over.
0: And by the time you listen to this, it might be over four weeks until the Flash show ends as we record. About the same time, I guess. But never mind, that's semantics. My history with DC animation is... I watched the Batman and Superman cartoons when I was growing up, the Bruce Timm ones, and these films sprang out from those they aren't in that continuity but sometimes they kind of are the first one actually is the batman mask of the phantasm one yeah that's a direct connection to the batman animated series it's a prequel to it or at least some of it's a prequel to it some of it's set after it or during it i don't know it doesn't really matter because they're fast and loose with their timelines anyway my main criticism of the dc animated films in general is There's too much reliance on Batman. And I think that's my criticism of DC adaptations in general. You have other characters, guys. Occasionally you get Superman film, but not as often. Wonder Woman, even less so. There's a couple of Green Lantern ones. This is the only Flash one, isn't it? I think so. And then there's some Justice League ones, which again, have a heavy focus on Batman anyway. And there's a couple of Batman and Superman ones. But generally speaking, there's a Batman bias in DC. I guess it's because... He's their most popular character, so they're just going to keep throwing that in our face until it's not the case anymore. But anyway, this came out a while ago, and I enjoyed it. I hadn't read the comic at the time. I didn't read the Flashpoint comic run until much later. And then when I did read it, I read everything, all the tie-ins and all that stuff. And it's just a behemoth, as comic events tend to be, and you don't actually have to read most of them. You find you read the side thing, and it has nothing to do with the main plot at all. It just gives you a bit of texture, or it just wastes your time for 20-odd pages, whichever. Or it's like, oh, look,
1: the sky's turned red. Yeah.
0: Why did that happen?
1: Because this (laughs) shit... happening over there that we're actually not going to look at right now. Pretty much.
0: Flash TV show, similar to you. I thought season one was outstanding, and it's been diminishing returns since then... Very, very diminishing returns. I would say the episode we're about to talk about here is when it was really on its downward slope. Season two, there was still some hope. Yes. After the Flashpoint adaptation, it just never got better, really. Other than the odd little spike of quality you would get occasionally. But on the whole, it's just not a good TV show. (laughs) The joke I keep saying when we talk about The Flash is, this had nine seasons and hasn't
1: been good for eight of them. Which isn't entirely true, but it's a nice soundbite, isn't it? And if nothing else, it certainly sums up your general attitude towards it. Yeah. I think we've already covered our
0: spoiler-free thoughts on both. You said you liked the film, but not so much the TV episode, and I said about the same. I don't think there's anything more to add on a spoiler-free side of it. Pretty much all you can say, isn't it? Yeah. So shall we run into the spoiler force, and then we can say what we want? Let's do it. Okay, Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox will start there. What's your familiarity with the comic series? Had you read it before you seen this? Had you read some of it before you seen this? Was there any knowledge of it?
1: It was a comic series that I was aware of before seeing it but I hadn't actually read it at the time though I was aware of the principal story beats revolving around Flash obviously and taking place in this alternate reality where the planet's being slowly destroyed by a war between Atlantis and the Amazons and also that there were a lot of versions of existing characters in different guises but I I didn't know very many of the specifics until watching the film for the first time. Though after reading the comics after I'd seen the film I quite liked how it it generally follows the story pretty closely, though as is often the case in the comics it's considerably more intricate and involves multiple more characters, but in in the adaptation it it was simplified a bit without being such a huge cast. So the thing which you've noticed is generally the case for a lot of the animated DC movies that are direct adaptations of arcs from the comics, but both the comics and the film version were pretty much the same story and both told that story I thought incredibly well, um, while well, the large variation that we got in the characters actually stops you from being able to predict what's going to happen. Well, One of the biggest reactions to it was the fact that I had actually forgotten that it was actually a big twist that Barry was the one who caused Flashpoint. Because of Flashpoint comics, been around for so long now. I think it was 2009 it was published? Something like that, yeah. And also because it was such a pivotal moment in the ongoing history of DC Comics, then it's a storyline that pretty much everyone knows now. But the fact that in the beginning it was assumed that it was Thorn who'd caused Flashpoint rather than Barry, I had completely forgotten about and the fact that Barry caused it being something that you'll find out till quite near the end. So it was was a little weird going into it with that advanced knowledge and then realising that it's something that you're not supposed to know at this point.
0: Yeah, when I experienced it, like you, I knew of the storyline and I knew about the new 52 reboot before I saw the film. Whenever people talk about Flashpoint, they talk about Barry goes back in time and saves his mother, or the Flash goes back in time and saves his mother and creates this horrible new reality as a result and has to fix it. So... The idea that that would be a surprise is something that gets lost on you, unless you're there at the time, I guess, or happen to somehow miss it before picking up the comic or this film. Being a twist at the end, I actually think the film doesn't handle that very well because, well, you don't really see Barry do it. So you don't see what that moment's like, the point where he saves his mother and creates this new world. You see him stop himself, and that's all you really get. You don't actually see his mother be murdered, for example. You don't see him having to... Look at that and face that. That's something the TV show does better. The fact that he actually sees the event play out. But in this, it's just, yeah, he trips himself up or whatever and then that's it, it's over. So I don't think the emotional resonance is as clear as it could be.
1: I do agree with that, actually. That is quite a good point.
0: Here we go. We're praising something the TV show did better. But it did it in season one, so of course it was going to be better. But I like the film. I do think it moves a bit too quickly. They trim an awful lot off. And it devolves into that usual third act problem that these animated films have, where they just let the animators go nuts with over-the-top action stuff, and you lose a lot of the character nuance in there. That last 20 minutes or so are just a mess of pixels being (laughs) thrown around the screen. Whenever a review one of these, I usually just say the same thing about it. I usually say that third act. It's just a mess. I don't know what's going on and I actually don't care. I was more interested in everything leading up to the third act and it was the same here. I liked seeing Thomas Wayne as Batman dealing with the loss of his son and not processing it in a healthy way at all. This film drops the fact that Bruce's mother's a
1: joker. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It's certainly very heavily suggested through the visuals.
0: Yeah, you see her laughing maniacally in the flashback.
1: Also laughing maniacally with a combination of blood and red lipstick smeared across her face in this gesture's grimace. Yeah,
0: so it is in there, but it starts off with Thomas Wayne trying to find the Joker, and then he never finds her. <laughs> so that's kind of unresolved.
1: Yeah, because rather than being specific to the plot, it was just another detail of how things are different.
0: Yeah, but it stands out more because you have so much of a focus on the Thomas Wayne Batman. He's in so much of the film that it feels like there should be some kind of a resolution to what he was up to before Barry comes into the plot. But he gets sidetracked and never goes back to it. It's a bit like the Amazing Spider-Man, actually, where he's trying to find his Uncle Killer and then just forgets about it when the lizard attacks. <laughs> he's done. He's <laughs> fine. I'll just let this guy roam free. It's OK. But he gets vaporised. So I guess that resolves it one way or the other. The entire
1: world gets vaporised, I guess.
0: Or is it just England? But it's not clear.
1: Doesn't even matter anyway, since the entire reality ceased to exist. Yeah. Although Barry still managed to hold on to a letter because he was carrying it at the time, so therefore it wasn't pulled from reality. But also it does make you ask how much he could have pulled from that reality in- into R one if he's like touching it or at least being close proximity to him or with him in the Speed Force.
0: Yeah. Well, it's in the comics they resurrect the Flashpoint timeline at some point, don't they? So you can bring back that Thomas Wayne. They
1: do. Yes. I've not actually read that. So. I've no idea whether or not it was actually any good. It's the classic
0: DC thing, isn't it? They do a massive event to tidy up continuity, and then they make an even bigger mess of it later on, so that they have to do another massive event to tidy that up, and they repeat the process
1: over and over again. How many crisis crossovers have there been now?
0: Crisis on Infinite Earths, Final Crisis, Infinite Crisis, I think Convergence was one. Zero Hour. This, wasn't Blackest Night a reboot of the universe, or is that something else?
1: It wasn't a reboot, but... I think it was one of the few arcs that actually wasn't affected by Flashpoint.
0: Yeah, there's some weird consequences of Flashpoint in the comics. It's, this still happened, but this didn't happen. Yeah. Or this happened differently, or it happened in a much more condensed timescale. So the killing joke still
1: happened somehow. I'm guessing that someone at DC decided that with Blackest Night being such a massive event, then they just didn't want to summarily wipe it from existence.
0: I wonder if they'll get around to an animated version of that at some point. I suspect they will, probably long before a film version of it ever exists.
1: I certainly hope so, because I would love to see that. I think it'd be spectacular.
0: We got an intensely watered-down version of it in the Flash TV show.
1: Oh, don't. Just don't.
0: (laughs) We're going to do Blackest Night, but with no green lanterns. (laughs) With
1: no lanterns whatsoever, actually. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's very funny. I sometimes genuinely wonder if they actually understand why what they do makes people angry.
0: Maybe they're the anti-Terry metalists, they just don't spend any time on social media whatsoever. <laughs> or it's like that Warp Zone video we reference every time we talk about this stuff. The writers are actively trying to get fired <laughs> so they can do something else. It's more plausible than
1: anything I can come up with for why the show is the way it is. I just find it hard to understand how somebody who purports to love something can just do it so badly for so long and still... Get away with it.
0: Yeah, it's baffling, but we are where we are. A few things I'd forgotten about this Michael B. Jordan's
1: in this. That was a surprise.
0: I'd forgotten he was in
1: it. Yeah, but there's also some interesting names in the cast list that you don't always notice when you're watching it.
0: And one of the things I found appealing about the animated films in some cases was that they were able to cast people to voice these characters that wouldn't be able to convincingly play them in live action.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: But they have the right voice. One example is Peter Weller playing the Dark Knight Returns Batman, although I suppose he could probably do it in live action, with
1: significant stunt help. You probably could have done it maybe 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, but in this it's largely a lot of the animated voices that you're familiar with anyway. Kevin Conroy's Batman, Mm -hmm. rest in peace, he's in this. You've got Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, she's the Lois Lane, that certainly anybody familiar with the animated stuff will be familiar with justin chambers is the flash which is not a name that i recognize immediately nathan fillion is green lantern he's the guy that everybody wanted to play him in live action but will never happen because he's too old now isn't he he's too old to be hal jordan
1: realistically yeah
0: unless they do an older hal jordan but that won't be what they do jennifer hale's the voice of iris vanessa marshall is wonder woman she's a voice acting
1: mainstay i guess who listeners may know from rebels when she voiced hera
0: yes And she's the voice of Mary Jane in The Spectacular Spider-Man as well. She was indeed, yes. I've forgotten that. She's a prolific voice actor. Same with Jennifer Hale. You've heard her everywhere. Yeah. Female shepherd in Mass Effect, things like that. This seems to be in the period before they were going after, or certainly when they weren't exclusively going after big names to voice these characters. They were relying on voice actors and actors that do a bit of both rather than we need the top Hollywood talent in here. Michael B. Jordan wouldn't have been that yet at this point.
1: No. When was Fruitvale Station released? Because that was when he became a name.
0: 2013, so it was the same year. So he was making this before that was making waves.
1: Definitely, yeah. All the recording gets done way in advance of the animation.
0: Yeah, I've done interviews with some of the voice actors on more recent projects, and they talk about, yeah,
1: we recorded this during COVID. (laughs)
0: It was before Michael B. Jordan did Fantastic Four.
1: Sometimes affectionately known as a fan-four stick.
0: Yes. Or not affectionately. No one's affectionate for that film.
1: Because <laughs> that movie was hot garbage.
0: He'd done his run on Friday Night Lights by this point, his 26 episodes of that, so that would have been where he came from, I suppose.
1: Uh, I never rushed watched that.
0: Me neither, but the fact that he was in 26 episodes of it suggests that people would know him from it. It's not an unreasonable expectation. And he was in 13 episodes of The Wire as well. Stay tuned for more of Michael B. Jordan's <laughs> film. The, the fact is, it's a bit of a surprise that he's in this. Maybe not at that point in his career, but just watching it with that level of hindsight, thinking, oh my god, he's cyborg. And then you start wondering, could he be cyborg now? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Probably could, but I can't imagine he would want to do it. I know he wants to do a Superman project. Oh, I've forgotten that, yes. Yes,
1: he did. Which may or may not still exist. Yes, well, now it all just seems whatever James Gunn thinks. Yeah, whether he wants it to happen or not.
0: One note I made about this film is that this version of Barry is about as stupid as the TV show version. At least at the beginning, where he stops to talk to his villains before stopping them. Is that just a function of the Flash comics? Does he always do that? There's no real story if he doesn't do that, is there? Because it's just... There's a criminal attacking the bank or whatever. Oh, well, he's in prison now, before I finish saying this sentence.
1: Yeah, that's one of the issues with speedsters. I can't remember exactly who it was that, as you said it, well, it might have been Jeff Johns or something like that, but essentially saying that if you apply any real reason to speedsters, then they're unstoppable. If they just focus on a task at hand and just zoomed in there, got the job done, then zoomed out, as you say, there wouldn't be any story. And I think just having Barry stuff and actually converse with a with villain, it's also a way of... Establishing his overconfidence he feels so certain of victory that he feels like he can stop and talk to villains because in his mind it won't make any difference to how the situation plays out. I
0: suppose there's that, yeah. And in the case of the TV show, he is repeatedly proven wrong. Yes, while never seeming to learn from it. You can rationalise it early on because he's inexperienced. So he thinks that stopping to chat to the villain trade a few quips before trying to stop them is something that he should do because he saw Oliver Queen do it, for example. But Oliver Queen has to set himself up. He has to get there. It takes him a while because he's not that fast compared to Barry. But after you've been doing it for a little while, you would
1: surely realise,
0: I'll gloat later. I will gloat at them when they're inside a prison cell looking out at me.
1: Yeah, well, he would think, but sadly, never seems the case. Yeah.
0: Although I did like in that sequence the individual ways that the Justice League... We'd go about defusing a bomb. That was quite fun, actually, yeah. The whole microbe one seemed the most effective, so just throw them all in the water and then let the microbes do their work. The most tenuous one seemed to be, let's wait until Batman might diffuse this thing. I mean, obviously he will, because he's Batman and he can do anything.
1: Yeah, because any tense situation, a little countdown, he's always got some way of getting through it.
0: Yeah, and then Superman just holding on to it, putting it between his hands. And yeah. For it to <laughs> that was funny. There's something weird about the animation, actually. Like Superman's face just looks strange in that early sequence. Never picked up on that. It looks better when he's the emaciated version later in the film, but at that early point, his little beady eyes and his very thin face, I think there's some strange choices made with the animation.
1: Perhaps they used the same character model for both versions of him and just didn't make enough changes.
0: Yeah, and Blonde Barry, I'm not used to that after so many years of the TV show. Right? It seems odd somehow. Well, it's funny because that's the trajectory they've taken with the character and... Live action adaptations because casting Ezra Miller, they've got dark hair as well.
1: I don't think it, it was a sort of specific direction. I think it's more just that the dark hair is just a lot more common. Yeah. would be surprising if there was any factor at all that, that they are looking at.
0: And both live action adaptations of Iris are black as well. That's another coincidence.
1: Yeah, that is a little, a little more interesting insofar as it's less likely to be a coincidence, I feel.
0: Yeah. I wonder if for the film they were trying to draw people in that were interested in the TV series. So they drew that visual linkage in some way.
1: That's a possibility, certainly. But remember, Iris did appear in the certain version of Justice League for all of a minute.
0: Yeah, but she was cast way before that. Remember, Ezra Miller was announced the day the Flash TV show premiered. Was that that long ago? Yeah, it really was. I remember Stephen Amell kicking off about it online because he thought it was an insult to the TV show <laughs> premiering to announce that the same day. Couldn't let it stand on its own.
1: No, I completely forgot that. That's how long we've been waiting for the Flash movie. I know it's been in development hell for years and years, because I don't remember it being cast that long ago. I think Kiersey
0: Clemens was cast way after that, but still long enough after the TV show started.
1: It's going to be a parallel that people are going to make. Well, we just did it. Exactly, yeah.
0: Well, it turns out both live-action flashes have a dark-haired Barry Allen and a black Iris West. Funny that. I don't think you'll see any of Iris's family in this Flash film that's about to immediately be forgotten anyway. I'd be very surprised. It's going to be one of those things. But back to the film at hand. So do you think this is a good adaptation? I think it's complicated because I think it does some things really well, but I also think it's very rushed. And I'm not talking about I wanted to see every single side tie-in issue adapted into the narrative
1: of this film, because that would be ridiculous. Yes, how much a boost of gold do you want in one sitting? Yeah, (laughs) well, he's not even in this, is he? No, but he had his, his own run that was part of the crossover. Yeah,
0: so I think this throws a lot of information at you very quickly, and a lot of it doesn't seem all that relevant because they don't really do anything with it. You have them there as elements that are used to some limited degree, but there's no real depth to a lot of it. Your core relationship is Barry and Thomas Wayne. Yeah. All the stuff around that is very rushed. It seems like they cut a lot of corners to get this into 80 minutes. And
1: that actually is... The thing about the DC animated movies in general is that they all tend to clock in at around 80 minutes. Yeah, 90 is the absolute top that they've reached. And I'm kind of wondering if, if that's some kind of official mandate that they have in place for some reason. I think they will have
0: some kind of runtime target to hit. I wonder if that's a function of straight-to-home video releases or something I should probably ask some of the directors the next time I speak to them.
1: <laughs> and there's going to be the factor that, that a longer film obviously takes more animation. But I, th- I think in the case of a film film like this, is where the details about each of the featured characters and how they differ from their counterparts we're more familiar with. I think they certainly did need a bit more screen time to make their appearances seem less superficial, as with a lot of them, it was just details to illustrate the world being different. Captain Cold being a hero, for example.
0: Yeah, the Citizen Cold thing, that's a big deal in the comic, isn't it? But here it's just a thing they talk
1: about. I think it just gets mentioned once and then never spoken of again. Yeah,
0: and the Shazam kids, why is there six of them or whatever it is instead of just one? How did Thomas Wayne become Batman? More to the point. As in what inspired him to adopt the bat symbol Because it's a specific set of circumstances That makes Bruce do it What is it for him?
1: Yeah and it seems unlikely that Thomas Would have gone through that same process
0: Yeah I'm sure the comic tells you I can't remember what the actual reason is I can't either actually to be honest But it must do But this doesn't He's just Batman instead of his son And he uses guns Like his son did when he was first introduced Batman used to just be a weirdo in a costume That used guns to kill criminals
1: Yes but we do not speak of that I think it's it's that in his very, very first incarnation, Superman was a villain. Yeah, well, he was less moral anyway, wasn't he? Or are you talking about the... The reign of the Superman story. Yeah, okay. Before he became Kal-El.
0: That's seen as the inspiration for Superman, isn't it? Rather than actual first adaptation of him.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of proto version.
0: And then the early action comics version, he's just a dick. He bounces around and just insults people and is pretty nasty to people. So the moral upright thing doesn't happen till later. Yeah. But the handling of Superman in this thing is a good example of how rushed it is because they find Superman, he accidentally kills a bunch of people and flies it off and then that's it.
1: The two appear later on as an almost literal deus ex machina.
0: Yeah. The comic does more with
1: him. Yeah. It's like the whole explanation like, into this entity known as Subject One. And I don't think the film even specifically explains why he's so emaciated. It's fairly straightforward to ascertain, because he's been kept on the ground under red lights and away from the sun, so he's not been able to absorb any of his light to become so superpowered. But I don't think the film actually explains that. No,
0: you can infer it because Barry says, we need to get him to, to the sun, and then when he looks at the sun for the first time, he's like, "Oh, it's so beautiful. So there's a suggestion that the sun is important to him, but it's like you said assuming familiarity with the characters before you go in. So if you already know who Superman is, you'll know why he's so weak. Yeah. They stuck him underground for decades, and now he hasn't any powers. He gets his powers very quickly, doesn't he? He seems to to metabolise those
1: solar rays very, very quickly. But with any iteration of Superman or pretty much any superhero at all, actually, the precise function and level of, of the powers is a continually oscillating thing depending on what each writer specifically wants to do with them.
0: Or it's like in Smallville, every time someone else got Clark's powers, they could use them all immediately, but he took
1: three <laughs> years to learn yeah. how to use his superhero, for example. Yes, and um, his heat vision only worked when he got horny. Yeah,
0: it's one of those things, isn't it? You don't have three years for this person that accidentally gets their powers in order to master them. And then yeah, The fact that the heat vision just comes out the way it does is essentially part of the plot as well. It's him being overwhelmed by what he can do and then exactly. is sort of disgusted by his actions.
1: Yeah, because he realises he's got the supreme power but can't control it. Yeah. I think the film is a mixed bag overall. I do still contend that it was one that I overall quite enjoyed, though I do recognise that it does have specific shortcomings.
0: No, it's good. And I think it's one of the stronger animated films. I think if you know the background of Flashpoint as a comic arc, then it's a lot easier to follow. If it was someone's first experience of any of it, it might be a little bit difficult to follow. I think you might be right. Which is actually
1: kind of a relevant point to the movie,
0: I think. I think the upcoming film will resemble this quite heavily in some respects. We've seen from the trailer that Supergirl is wearing a similar outfit to the Superman in this film. Yeah, the white suit, whatever that is. And it looks like they go to a similar-looking military installation in order to get her. It looks like that will be just that, but with
1: Supergirl instead of Superman. I'm in complete agreement.
0: And Michael Keaton is taking on Thomas Wayne's role.
1: I think that's most likely, yeah. I imagine that Ben Affleck is only going to be in the film at the very beginning and at the very end.
0: Yeah, Ben Affleck will be the... Kevin
1: Conroy stand-in, essentially. Yeah, it seems a little sacrilegious to put both the names in the same sentence. <laughs> I like Ben Affleck's Batman. Oh, I agree. I think he's done as well with the character as he could have. Yeah. But Kevin Conroy is... Kevin Conroy was, rather.
0: And he got to play him once in live action. Sort of. Yeah. Emphasis
1: on the sort of. I still... No, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that the Batman that he got to play in live action wasn't the Batman he'd been playing for decades previously.
0: Or an older version of him, yeah. I guess if they had all the money in the world, they could have introduced the Batman Beyond Batman with Kevin Conroy as the mentor of Bruce Wayne in another
1: universe. That I would have liked to have seen.
0: What year is Batman Beyond Set in? Are we close to that actual year in real terms? I think I might be like 2030 or something like that. Yes, we're not far away. That's funny.
1: We're certainly near enough in the future that it would be wishful thinking for that kind of future to come about in so short a time frame
0: Yeah, flying, whatever it is they've got, all those things, all the weird technology they've got in those shows
1: Yes, and what's a cyberpunk jury quokery Yeah,
0: so I do think that the film will be not borrowing directly from the source material but you'll be able to draw lines between what happens in the film and the comic slash this animated
1: film yeah. Just going back to the Supergirl for a second, I have a suspicion that the way that the film's story is actually told, I suspect it may have been initially intended f- for Supergirl's appearance to have been a surprise. Because what I think is going to happen is that when Barry and other Barry find out about this facility, there's going to be a reference to a Kryptonian being experimented on there. And from that, it's going to be assumed that it's referring to Superman. And anyone familiar with Flashpoint would likely assume the same. Or anyone familiar with the films that preceded this film as well? Indeed, yes. Being the only Kryptonian that they have any awareness of. And so when they get to that point of it, and discover that instead of Henry Cavill, it's a hot Latina, it was originally intended to be a big surprise, which it now isn't. It's like a similar kind of thing with Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman, because for so much of the film, weren't actually told that was who she was. It wasn't until the climactic battle with Doomsday, she appears in the Amazonian armour, that you realise who she'd been the whole time. But the trailer and not spoiling
0: that. Or there's the scene before that where she's reading her email. It shows you the picture of her and the armor during World War One as well.
1: Oh that was that, yeah. So that
0: would have given it away. But it was when they cast Sasha Callie or Sasha Call or how you pronounce her name. That was when they told you that she was going to be playing Supergirl in the Flash. So it gives you all the information you need. But in the context of the film, yeah, they might play it as if it's supposed to be a surprise. It's not, because we already know. Suppose another example is in Iron Man Two, Black Widow. Because the film doesn't tell you that it's Black Widow early on.
1: Also true, yes, actually.
0: It gives you clues, like when she pins Happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird for a lawyer to be able to do, for example. I kind of hate that we're living in this world where nothing's a surprise anymore when you watch something. You go and see a thing in the cinema and you can't be surprised.
1: I genuinely can't remember the last time that actually happened to me. No. In fairness,
0: we probably are our own worst enemies when it comes to that because... We're so immersed in film and TV news anyway. In fact, we do a monthly podcast where we discuss such things.
1: There's that, yeah, but it isn't that common that being so immersed in the minutiae of production ends up being directly detrimental to the end viewing experience.
0: Spider-Man No Way Home being a notable example. Yeah. No, no, Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire aren't in this film. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows they are.
1: We've listened to all the updates that Steve Moffat gave us about Doctor Who. We know when we're being directly lied to, all right?
0: <laughs> I think there's a double edge when it comes to a surprise. Just say they had left Supergirl's inclusion as being a surprise that you only get when you watch the film. It's probably going to be spoiled before you see it because people are assholes on Twitter and just would tell you. <laughs> without worrying about anybody being spoiled. People just do that. But it also means when the film comes out, if you're writing about it or anything like that, you have to make a choice about whether you spoil that. And I think it does the actor a bit of a disservice because just say you follow the directive of the studio making the thing and decide not to talk about the thing that's such a shock and such a fan pleasing moment, etc. For example, with... No Way Home, it meant that in your review you couldn't praise Andrew Garfield's performance, even though he was very, very good in that film. So, from the point of view of the actor, it must always seem like they're not in it when the film comes out, first of all, because no one's talking about them, no one's commenting on their work in that film, and I wonder if that's part of why that information gets out there early on, because the actors are a brand unto themselves, so people knowing that they're in it is something that they'll want, obviously. So it's a complicated one, I think.
1: Yeah, I do get what you're saying. It's just for me personally, my primary lens for viewing things through tends to be a narrative one. So I have a tendency to perceive decisions in how they serve as a story or don't sometimes. Yeah.
0: And then with this weaponization of spoilers that is happening in the world at the moment, when it comes to, if you were to come and review a big film that has just narrative surprise in it, it means that you can't chat about that part of the narrative. Well, you can, but people might attack you for it. And you have the choice of whether to buy into marketing nonsense about hiding spoilers or discuss something thoughtfully, potentially in a review. That's a choice that you would have to make. Thanos
1: demands your silence.
0: Yeah, that exactly. I mean, in the case of Endgame, I think you can write a review without talking about the portal scene. It's not something that prohibits you from talking about the film. And you could get there without saying, yeah, they all come back. It's fine. You can talk in general terms about what the film's trying to do, but... The problem with it is, when I was writing my review for that, I kept it in my mind thinking, am I saying too much about what the film does? Is this encroaching on spoilers? And It's not a great experience trying to talk about something without actually talking about it, because that leaves you to just the superficial crap that you get that people are angling for pull quotes.
1: Yeah, it's so obvious when people do that, and I hate it so much because it's so disingenuous. Transcendent, or whatever no one uses the word transcendent casually in a review it just doesn't happen The only specific example that comes to mind, I can think from my own writing, was when I reviewed this film called Blood Punch, which is a very surreal genre mashup kind of story involving this meth cook who gets hired by a couple of nutters to make a batch of drugs in a really short time. The hook of the story, in my mind, takes place far enough into the film that actually talking about it directly constitutes a spoiler. So when I was writing a review of it, I had to skirt around actually saying what it is that takes place, which right now has the risk of just sounding maddeningly vague and not really saying anything. Yeah,
0: it makes it difficult there. So then you're resenting to saying things like, a non-stop thrill ride, so it can be proudly displayed in a trailer. Nonsense like that.
1: I really think that you should only use hyperbole in review if you genuinely believe what you're saying. Yeah, that's not the way it works, is it? Sadly, no. And not conforming to it means that you just are obscure because no one will quote your work. I remember once I did a review of this movie called Birdemic, which is truly dire in every single sense of the word (laughs) I put this bit bit explaining that I really hate hyperbole I think it's boring to read I think it's unimaginative to use and I think that if you use it you should genuinely believe what you're writing so I mention this so that when I say that I think Birdemic is quite possibly the worst film ever made I genuinely want you to understand what it means for me to say something like that (laughs) because I actually do
0: okay
1: it is just so utterly irredeemable on any kind of level
0: there's a challenge find something
1: worse it will exist oh undoubtedly the worst film ever made that you've seen I suppose is the accurate delivery of that yeah and also if anyone cites the worst film ever made as being either 9 from Outer Space Troll 2 or Man of the Hands of Fate then they can just be completely ignored outright because they are not the worst films ever made they are the films often cited as the worst film ever made by people who don't watch films <laughs> one to sound like they do yeah so i think we're off on a tangent here
0: yes well let's move on to the flashpoint episode unless you have any final things to say about the flashpoint paradox movie i don't really like i say it's a mixed bag so i don't think there's an awful lot of depth to dig into as such i think we've pretty much covered it you've nothing else i have nothing else let's move on to the tv episode yeah so this is very different to the film and comic in that it doesn't really take anything from Either of them. Although the Flashpoint movie is cited as one of the inspirations for how they were going to do things in the TV show. And you can see the DNA of the TV show in the film. Things like the overhead view of the different coloured lights running around the grid of the city. That's in there. And the backstory of someone killed my mother when I was really young and that's why I'm the man I am today. That kind of stuff. A lot of that's in the TV show, although a lot of that's taken from the Flashpoint comic anyway, because Jeff Johns was involved early on in this show, so helped shape all these early yes, developments. Yes, it was. But it's a very different adaptation, as in it uses almost none of the elements. The Flashpoint aspect of it is in name only, as in it's just what Thawne decides to call it for no reason.
1: Yeah, no reason, and just very painfully crowbarred into the dialogue just so they actually had it said out loud. Yeah.
0: I think the most frustrating thing about this for me is that the TV universe at this point had all the resources it needed in order to deliver a scaled-down adaptation of Flashpoint.
1: Exactly. And instead it gives us an absolute nothing story basically about Wally fighting a villain so obscure he barely existed since the 50s. (laughs) And Barry comes to the realisation that his actions have consequences. Again!
0: Yes, but you forget it soon enough, don't worry about it. He constantly learns and forgets that lesson. It's part of the DNA of the show as much as anything else is at this point.
1: Yeah, but the thing that I found really frustrating was it was obviously meant to be this TV show's version of what has become an iconic arc from the comics, but yet its only purpose was to make some superficial drama-enhancing alterations to the interpersonal dynamics and also to set up the whole Dr. Alchemy storyline.
0: And let's not forget the Killer Frost storyline. Which one? Well, that was the first iteration of Caitlin becoming slash being inhabited by Killer Frost, wasn't it? It was, yes. One of the changes was she has ice powers for some reason.
1: It just makes me so irritated even thinking about it
0: now. (laughs) It's funny to see the genesis of it, as in Barry comes back to the present day. There's some changes. Cisco's brother's dead. Caitlin has powers that she's hiding. So you're supposed to just think she was affected by the particle accelerator in this timeline, but not in the previous one. We've discussed it on various podcasts, just the various
1: permutations of this story. They just change it every time they decide to play with it. And Which we're even going to get into in the forthcoming final season podcast. Oh yes, we are going to discuss that in detail.
0: But in terms of the resources available to them, I was thinking as I was re-watching it, that they wouldn't have had to impact the other shows in any way, actually, to do it. Because what you could do is you could have Robert Queen instead of Oliver Queen mm-hmm. doing a Green Arrow instead of a Batman and have that role. You could probably use Tyler Hoechlin's Superman. He was around at the time, but he wasn't being heavily used on Supergirl. So he was kind of spare. Of course, I'm assuming that the actors are available and want to do this in order to make this happen. I'm making that assumption. But what I'm saying is you don't have to double up on filming for the other shows in order to make the Flashpoint adaptation happen because you can use different versions of these familiar characters.
1: Exactly. In half the premise of Legends of Tomorrow was the fact that the timeline got mucked around with on a weekly basis. Yeah, but instead you got a single
0: episode where Barry
1: learned, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that, then he went back to fix it. Yeah, just went back in time to allow his mother to be murdered again because he felt bad while he got stabbed. Yes. Exactly. Before rewatching this episode, I actually couldn't remember very much about it. And after finishing it, I realised why. It's just because it's almost entirely inconsequential. Nothing that happens in it actually matters. No. Which, again, is just a very frustrating attitude to take towards a story that's so well-known
0: yeah part of my disappointment at the time was i'm not sure what i was expecting when they set it up at the end of season two but i know i wasn't expecting it to be wrapped up within a single episode right so when we're at the end of the episode and barry's realized oh i probably shouldn't have done this so i'm gonna go fix it i was thinking wait what so we're just not gonna play
1: with this timeline at all great okay so everything we just watched that's just gonna get erased now okay sure Fine. Joe's an alcoholic. Why? Don't know. Never tells us. Because it's a marked difference from his character in the primary timeline. And a character requires such a deviation so audiences can recognise that there is something different about them.
0: And they also don't really do anything with how selfish Barry was in order to create this timeline in the first place. Because what he did was he messed with the entire universe, really, to make it happen, just because he's upset that his parents are dead. Which is the point of the story, right? The point of the story is him being selfish and then... Suffering the consequences of being selfish. But it doesn't really happen. I know people attack him for Flashpoint across the rest of the season, but they end up just forgiving him. Diggle with his alternate gender baby, yeah. for example.
1: Which people were vocal enough in their dislike of that they half-reversed it when Oliver rebooted the universe. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now I have two kids. Thanks, Oliver. Now life is twice as expensive. Thank you for that. You didn't reboot the universe with more money in my bank account, you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's again that's a very different discussion it is just nothing isn't it there's a interesting novelty to running around and seeing how the continuity differs in this altered
1: timeline but it never gets much beyond that yeah, but the only real notable difference is, is that why is the flash Cisco's rich joe's a drunk and that's pretty much
0: it and barry's boss likes him the captain likes him oh yeah and caitlin's a ophthalmologist
1: Yeah, because there had to be a reason for her to not be immediately available. But yeah, she quickly becomes familiar with Caitlin, like two minutes later.
0: It's that line where she says, I've always wondered why the cameras in the city aren't used to track speed, and thinking, why would an
1: ophthalmologist think that? What thought process would have led you to coming to that conclusion?
0: I love it when she asks Wally, Have I been kidnapped? And he's like,
1: unclear. That was a good moment, actually. I did like that. It's
0: one of Keenan Lonsdale's rare good line deliveries, actually. I'm not going to say he was a bad actor, but he was an inexperienced actor, and then he was on a show that wasn't letting him learn how to be an actor. Mm-hmm. So much so that he now barely acts anymore. Yeah, and
1: one other woman moment that I did quite like was that scene where Barry neutralised Rivals Tornado. I uh, thought that visually that was actually done pretty well.
0: Visually it looks good, yeah, but it lifted me out of the moment because Barry's supposed to be far more experienced and confident than that at that point in his development. And they were obviously calling back to the pilot where a similar thing happened.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What happens is Barry's looking at these two tornadoes. He says, guys, I can't do this. And then someone speaks out of the microphone and says, Yes, you can, Barry. Blah blah blah, motivational
1: crap. You can do this, Barry, because we believe in you and all that crap.
0: Because we believe in you. You are the flash, run, Barry, run, and then he does. Although Iris doesn't say, "Run, Barry, run." In this example,
1: yeah, well, maybe they decided that would have been just a little bit too cheesy. Can't imagine why they would
0: stop themselves at that point. Again, that's part of the DNA of the show, isn't it? Barry has his crisis of confidence. Someone speaks at the microphone and says, "You can do it, Barry," and then he does it.
1: Yeah, but I think possibly at that point in the show's development, they hadn't quite realised the true extent of the tediously repetitive excess they could get away with.
0: This also an additional example of nerfing Wally just to make him an idiot so that Barry can look better.
1: Yes, it's it's all generally pretty bad storytelling. And as I mentioned earlier, it's where you can see that the show began to decline.
0: This was your one chance to do Flashpoint. You can't do it again, and... That's it. That's all you gave us. Yep. It's the same with the death of Superman and Batman v Superman. It's, no. This is your only chance to do the death of Superman. And this is how you did it.
1: My issues with Zack Snyder could take up an entire podcast on their own, so I'm not going to get started on this.
0: Plus, James Gunn can probably do the death of Superman again now. You could probably get away with that. Probably, yeah. I was actually surprised the Arrowverse didn't do that as an event. That would have been possibly an interesting event, crossover thing.
1: It would have been, but... For quite some time, Superman was always a supporting character, and to have an entire event revolve around him because it ties in with the comics, I just don't think that would have worked as well as it might seem to have in concept.
0: Although it probably would have worked with him being a supporting character, actually, because it's someone that everybody's aware of, and now he's gone, and they have to deal with the fact that he's not there anymore.
1: Yeah, but the whole thing about having to deal with him being gone is also to do with him having such a huge impact in the first place, which... To the Arrowverse characters, is that a considerably lesser degree than most other incarnations of the character.
0: Yeah, though in early Supergirl they were constantly telling you about what he was up to, or what he'd been doing, or what he'd accomplished.
1: Yeah, operative word being tell, rather than show.
0: Ah, for sure. And now the current iteration of him lives in a
1: different universe anyway. Yeah, which they totally decided on right at the beginning, didn't they?
0: Yeah, that that was always the plan.
1: Yeah, completely.
0: That's why Diggle shows up talking about Green Lantern Rings (laughs) and and talking about Oliver Queen. What did he do in this universe Who? Wait, what? That guy. There was an Oliver Queen in this universe and he did something. We don't know what it was, but he did something. And now he's dead. And there's a box that's tempting to go with the stars. But anyway, we're threatening to descend into an Arrowverse podcast here. (laughs) So let's come back. The bullet point I put on both is, do we think the upcoming film will resemble us in any way? When it comes to the TV show version, I think not.
1: No, not in the slightest at all, whatsoever.
0: Unless reverse Flash appears at some point, but I don't think so. That
1: actually brings up another aspect I have with Flash movie as a whole, and the decision to adapt Flashpoint for it. Part of the whole point of Flashpoint was seeing characters that you're familiar with in completely different guises and with completely different personalities. And it was your existing familiarity with them that made the changes so drastic. Whereas, in this case, the continuity of the EU movies is such a mess... Just by itself anyway. That there isn't very much of it that properly ties together in any meaningful way. And so for this film to be built around changes to them, I just don't think they're going to feel significant enough to actually matter. Considering they're gonna throw this all out
0: after it comes out anyway, in favour of James Gunn's new reboot.
1: Yes, I am aware of that, but it doesn't stop that from being a point of detraction in this film setup.
0: Yeah. I think in terms of Certainly what the trailer gives you, or the trailers, the multiple trailers that we've had, it seems like the focus on the familiar is quite limited because we don't have an awful lot of source material to draw on from the films. So we have the Kryptonian attack on Earth in Man of Steel. That's our big threat here. Yeah. That Barry messed up. His changing the universe meant that there was nothing to counter that, and that's a problem. And then you've got Supergirl instead of Superman, because that's a subversion of that expectation i guess even though we know it's coming what i don't understand is how barry changing the timeline means that michael keaton's batman's here instead of ben affleck's batman it could be that he brings that batman from another universe as well he runs in another universe and finds michael keaton batman i don't know i'm guessing he teams up with himself from the flashpoint timeline
1: i would guess that's the implication because i can't think of any other way it makes sense
0: yeah, so that brings us on to what we expect or hope from the upcoming film. And basically what I said there, I just think it's going to be Flashpoint, but using the assets of the DC universe as it existed in film. But you're probably not going to get your Wonder Woman or your Aquaman in there at all, even though you could have.
1: Yeah, which I think would be a shame, really, because part of the whole reason why the creation of the Flashpoint world was seems such a terrible thing was because of this war between Aquaman and, and Wonder Woman, or, or the destroyed the entirety of Europe and was threatened to do the same for the rest of the planet.
0: That seems to escalate a bit too quickly, by the way, in both versions of the original story.
1: Yeah, maybe they thought incorporating that aspect would be too complicated or possibly too expensive, going by the likely price tags that Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa have nowadays.
0: Yeah, and then you would have to accept Jason Momoa as a villain, which would be
1: a difficult sell, perhaps.
0: Certainly in his modern persona, I know he's played antagonists in the past. That's before anybody knew who he really was.
1: Yeah, for the scale that the film's aiming for, I think it might have been a bit too much for it. But at the same time, I do think it's a shame to not get to see that play out.
0: Yeah, again, this is your only chance to do it, and this is what we're getting.
1: Overall, I honestly don't have a great deal of expectation for the movie. Even discounting my ambivalence towards Ezra Miller as an actor on the count of them also being... uh, predatory abuser, which is a whole other conversation entirely. I just feel that this film is just going to be paying lip service too much to the already vague world building of this shared universe Mm -hmm. for anything that happens in it to seem like it really matters or it's that consequential.
0: Yeah, which version of Justice League is it a sequel to? (sighs)
1: Sorry, I just need to calm myself for a second there because anything to do with that just makes me want to come up in a tirade of words that would require you to locate increasingly obscure sound effects to <laughs> blank out what I'm saying.
0: One of my biggest concerns about this film is the nostalgia quotient that we're being bombarded with everywhere at the moment. I'm just sick of it and I feel like it's getting in the way of actual storytelling that seems to be, we'll give you a flash of something familiar and that'll be enough for you. It kind of used to be enough for me because there was novelty to the fan service but now it's just So obnoxious that I'm sick of it. And I need more substantial fan service now. I need something to actually mean something whenever they include it. And one of my biggest concerns is over the Michael Keaton Batman. You've got Michael Keaton playing Bruce Wayne slash Batman again, which is in theory great because his version was iconic. And seeing him again is in theory a good thing. However, it seems that they've forgotten about the substance of what made that character (laughs) interesting. That seems evident in the trailer through the way he moves. One of the trailers, you see him replaced by... A CGI rendering of him doing loop the loops and <laughs> moving really quickly, which is completely counter to the way that, that Batman would operate in his own films. He was very slow, and he moved very awkwardly. He couldn't turn his head, so he had to turn his whole body to <laughs> face someone, turn around and look at someone. And that was character affectation. And it's the same whenever he got into a fist fight. It would be over very quickly because he had to deal with it in one or two punches because he didn't have the agility. And he relied on gadgets a lot and things like that. But now you've just got him ragdolling about, which is just counter to the way that he is. And I know that people might say, yeah, but he's moved on. He's probably got better than it. And I'm just thinking, but his suit looks the same. You look at that suit and you think, yeah, that doesn't have the ability to even turn his neck in the opposite direction to the rest of his body's facing." So what are you doing here then? Why have you brought back Michael Keaton? What is the point? It'd be the same if you brought back Christian Bale and he wasn't stalking people from the shadows, for example, because that's the way he operated. In fact, you see Ben Affleck in the trailer out in broad daylight on his bike. Mm-hmm. There's Batman out in broad daylight. Yes, as he's famous for. Maybe he's slightly in the shade, I don't know, but it's just stupid. So it just seems like a example of meaningless fan service for the sake of fan service. And even in the latest trailer, you've got Michael Keaton delivering the line, you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. <laughs> Which seems weird. I know it became a bit of a meme after the fact, but I think it's one of those that wouldn't have necessarily stood out to a viewer unless they had it pointed out to them. It was just something that happened in the film and contrast it with the Willem Dafoe, I'm something of a scientist myself. Yes. That was in the trailer. So you're bound to have seen that like 50 times maybe before you even watched the film in the first place. So you might have already found the line quite funny before you even saw it. And actually, I remember No Way Home when he says it, I cringed a little. <laughs> oh, God, there's no reason to say that. Because it's that, I'm saying this because I know you'll respond to it sort of things. It's kind of like what Michael Keaton's doing. Oh, it seems to be delivered with a bit of a wince on his part as well. It's like, say the line, Keaton. Say it. <laughs> it's like when they got Leonard Nimoy to say the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few in the Transformers film he
1: was in. Yeah, that was... Uh. There's a lot of things I hate about those films, but that moment in particular was especially egregious. <laughs> but
0: that's a lot of the media we're consuming now, is just callbacks to stuff we've already seen. We're getting a lot of the snake eating its own tail in terms of content at the moment, and I'm sick of it.
1: And certainly, if nothing else, you don't want to actually give some legitimate ammunition to people who argue that superhero movies are all the same because if things continue much further on their current trajectory then they actually will be
0: yeah i've had this discussion before about the ai generated scripts that they're talking about Mm. being a very real possibility in the near future and the worst thing to come of that will be when that actually starts happening and we don't know what's the difference
1: yeah i think we've got a way to go before we get to that point but i also think that it's less time than we might believe. Because films are already
0: made by committee, aren't they? Or films like this, anyway. You've got studio execs feeding in what they want. You've got test audiences telling you what they want. It's all these different elements that feed into it. And obviously there's a definite desire to copy something else that's similar that did it successfully. The idea of, I like this, give me 10 more of it. (laughs) And the end result often comes across as the patchwork mess that it actually was throughout production. And I think that's probably what's going to happen here. Early reactions for the film have come out, but they're about as trustworthy as any early reactions you might see for these types of films. Exactly. The best DC film since The Dark Knight, I think, was one of them that I saw. I'm just thinking, nah. You saw it at CinemaCon, and you're riding a wave of euphoria. <laughs> I don't believe a word you say at this
1: point in time. There's been a few times when I've rewatched films that I really loved at the Edinburgh Film Festival, but when we them, I was like, ah, that... Actually, it wasn't that good. And I gave a really positive review to a very mediocre film.
0: Yeah, but your review is only a snapshot of your mindset at that given time, so I think that's valid. I often have that when doing this podcast. I'll often go see a Marvel film or whatever, and I'll come out of it really enjoying it, and I'll write a positive review, and then by the time it comes to the podcast, I've digested it a bit more, and my view has changed. But it doesn't mean I don't stand by what I originally said, because it was what I thought at the time.
1: Exactly, I remember when I went to see the second Venom movie. While I was in a cinema, I really wasn't enjoying it very much at all. But after I thought about it for a while, I realised that because I was in a really, really bad mood when I went to see it, I realised that I actually enjoyed it quite a bit more than I thought I did. It was still a... Fairly average film. But in my mind afterwards, it was a terrible one rather than average one.
0: Yeah, but sometimes you can get caught up in the discourse that surrounds it before you go see it as well. If you're going to see a comic book film or a franchise film or what have you, you can have ringing in your ears all these hyperbolic statements surrounding it, which means that sometimes, I'm not saying this applies to everybody, but sometimes I might go in trying to find its flaws almost, because I'm just thinking I really hate those stupid hyperbolic reactions that I've seen. Or equally, if you've cut a chorus of, this was the worst thing ever. Sometimes I go in thinking, I want to try and find the good in this. I want to like this. I really want to like it.
1: Yeah, because it can get to the point where you're not being told how you're probably going to react to seeing the film. You're being told how you're supposed to react to it. Yeah. And so you just feel the need to be contrary to that.
0: I don't think I'm ever dishonest with myself when I'm watching it, but that mindset when you're going in sometimes can be hard work because you're trying to argue with yourself as you're watching it.
1: I know what you mean, yeah.
0: So in the case of The Flash, for example, I'm expecting to not like it at this point because the trailers haven't filled me with confidence. I've seen Michael Keaton ragdoll about in a way that just isn't, what I would expect of that version of the character. I've seen all the hyperbolic statements coming out of CinemaCon, so I'm going in expecting it to be not good. But I'm not someone that needs to get on Twitter afterwards and say, I thought this was the worst thing ever, and reply to everybody that does a positive reaction by, no, it sucked, what are you talking about? All that kind of stuff. I'm not that person. I definitely would never do that. But certainly I feel like this thing has to convince me to like it when I go in, because it hasn't done anything to make me want to enjoy it up until this point. Maybe that seems like a close-minded approach, but that's just the way it is. And
1: the other thing to remember is we don't really have very much reason to care about this character because his presence in these movies so far has been so minimal and secondary.
0: And we've had two different versions of him as well. Exactly. The Joss Whedon Justice League version is not the same as the Snyder Cut version of them. So which one am I watching a sequel to?
1: I assume it's supposed to be the Joss Whedon version, because that's the version that's actually canon for the DCEU. Not in any real significant sense, but there's been references here or there to it. I can't remember any specific examples now, actually. That's really annoying.
0: There's one in Aquaman where Mira talks about him stopping Steppenwolf.
1: Yes, Well, that technically applies to both. Versions,
0: Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure. But that makes it difficult going in because I've seen two different versions of this character and two different cuts of the same film. And I don't know which one I'm expecting. I actually prefer the Joss Whedon version. I've talked about that in a couple of podcasts related to Justice League films about how Joss Whedon with less resources did much better character work on some characters than Zack Snyder did. For example, his version of Batman was a person trying to create a future that he wasn't going to be in because he understands that he's mortal and can't do this forever. So he's trying to encourage Wonder Woman to take up the leadership role because Mm -hmm. he won't be able to do that forever. In that Justice League movie as well, Joss Whedon created a scene between Cyborg and Barry where Barry talked about how they were both the accidents. And that's why he didn't feel comfortable being a part of this superhero team because he didn't feel worthy of it in the same way that the others that surrounded him were. So if they capitalise on the fact that, oh god, I shouldn't even have these powers. Why have I got these powers? I'm not any good at this. Then that could be interesting.
1: That's possible, actually, yeah. Though there's not really any inkling that that's the direction it's going to take the character in. No, but I guess we'll find out. Are you planning to see this in the cinema when it comes out, or are you just going to wait? I'll probably need to, so I can actually read things and talk about it. Yeah. But it's not something I'm anticipating with any great excitement. Sure.
0: Anything else on either of those things or indeed the Flash movie that's coming out?
1: I think I've pretty much covered everything I want to say about it. Cool. That was our primer for the Flash movie
0: that discusses the previous two adaptations of Flashpoint that may or may not inspire what we're going to see in the film when it comes out. I would like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music and Andrew, thank you for joining me for this primer where we discussed mostly the Arrowverse it seems. (laughs)
1: it's always a pleasure if
0: you like what you heard then please do hit subscribe on Spotify Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts most of these places have an opportunity to rate the podcast in that app and most of them do it through the form of a star so Andrew how many stars would you like the listeners to give us?
1: I would heartily suggest a big fat five
0: that's what I would prefer also and you could leave us a comment while you're at it that would be amazing. If you want to talk to us about The Flash, The Flashpoint Paradox, The Flash movie, DC in general, or anything really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under New Before Blog, or leave us a comment on needbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we really hope you'll join us next time on the Before Podcast.